0: So we'll be in Habakkuk chapter 3 pretty much the whole time, but if you want to start in chapter 1, that's where we're going to be kind of looking. And I just want to summarize chapters 1 and 2 as we go, and then we're going to be reading and looking at chapter 3. And kind of the nice thing about Habakkuk is that, I don't know if any of you have found this to be true, but as people have been talking more and more about the situation for the last 9, month, nine months, 8, 7 months, I don't know, the last... Whatever long it's been ever since we've been in this current situation, there's been a lot of changes and there's been a lot of things that have been difficult and people have been trying to turn to a lot of different things. And there's been a lot of passages that we talked about that have been helpful. We were looking at Psalms a lot. We've looked at a lot of other things like in Philippians have been helpful, but I was talking to somebody and they said that Habakkuk has been something really helpful for them. And so I started looking at Habakkuk and I thought, well, wow, that's, that's spot on. That's That's really helpful. So, I want to look at Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3 because I want us to learn maybe a better way to pray to God and some different things, some different elements of prayer that we should incorporate in our lives. But more than that, I think that Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3 gives us just a good outlook on life, like how do we cope with life and deal with things. So that's what we're going to be looking at. The first couple of slides are just going to be background on Habakkuk and kind of summarizing chapters one and two. So if you want to start in chapter one, as I go, you can kind of just follow and look at the verses and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. But just as far as background about Habakkuk himself, really not much is known about him. Some think he prophesied between 625 and 612. Other other people think it was between 609 and 606, so it's a pretty broad range. The reason they give that range is mainly because they kind of think it revolves around King Josiah. King Josiah made a ton of reforms. He really did, did right in the sight of the Lord in a lot of ways and helped the nation of Judah to actually draw closer to God. But he died in 609. So it was either before Josiah did all the reforms, when everything was terrible in Judah, or it was after he died. After Josiah died, when she died at about 609, against a battle, uh, in a battle against King of Egypt. I think it was Nico, Who it was. And so you have kind of a a big range, 625 to let's just say 606, but what's for sure is that there's a lot of wickedness around. And so that's why Habakkuk is praying and calling out to God. Now, Babylon is a nation and in Habakkuk, you're going to see that he mentions the Chaldeans, Well, that's the same as the Babylonians. So they're not a world power yet, but they are a nation. And as Habakkuk looks around Judah, he just sees everything's terrible. There's injustice. There's idolatry. The spiritual leaders are doing awful things. By the way, when I say spiritual leaders, that also means they're nation's leaders. So like they don't he doesn't know who to turn to. The people don't have anyone they can rely on. They're being taken advantage of. So Habakkuk is unique because instead of instead of him getting a message and prophecy from God and then us having a written recording of what that was and then him taking it to the people, this is just a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And actually, it starts by him calling out to God with questions. And it, he's, it's his prayer, it's his petition, it's his, it's his conversation with God. So verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, he has questions like, How long should I cry, Lord, without you hearing me? Or, and really, it's not just how long. It's like, when are you going to save? When are you going to help us? Because we're in trouble and we're crying out. Why haven't you done anything about the bad things that are happening? Does your law not matter anymore? Is justice just done away with? So Habakkuk seems like he, he's not questioning who God is. He's questioning, God, are you seeing this? Because everything I know about you and your law would say that you're going to do something. But when are you going to do that? How long should we wait how long should we cry out and pray? Well, God has a plan. Excuse me. God has a plan for how He's going to take care of the wickedness. And you see that in chapter 1, beginning of verse 5 through 11. That's God's answer for Habakkuk's complaint and prayer. And He basically invites Habakkuk to look around and wait and observe and see what He's going to do. But He tells him, I'm going to do something that you're not going to believe, but it's going to happen. And He talks about the Chaldeans, these Babylonians, that they're going to rise up. As an answer. So, really, he's saying he's going to use a wicked nation to judge the wickedness of his own people. And Habakkuk can't believe it. That's exactly what God said would happen. He's like, if I told you, you won't believe it. Habakkuk can't believe it. But he does stay hum- humble as he questions God. So, you see Habakkuk's response beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 1. And he has questions about God as well. It's like, well, God, aren't you eternal? Like he knows God is eternal. He knows who God is. So it's just hard for him to wrap his head around this. Like, how are you going to use the Babylonians, a wicked nation, people that aren't your chosen people? He says he knows that God is an idol and he and he just can't believe God's answer for the complaint and wickedness amongst the the people of of Judah. But I want to emphasize Habakkuk keeps his humility and he's ready to respond after God responds. So actually chapter two, verse one is one of the popular verses in Habakkuk where he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I want to differentiate real quick Habakkuk's attitude as he says, I'll take the wait and see approach versus what sometimes our attitude is or what my attitude is. Um, my attitude, maybe you're like me, if I say wait and see, it's because I'm doubting, right? I'm like, I'm like, okay, we'll see. I say that all the time when I don't believe that someone's going to do what they say they're going to do or they can't do um, what they say they're going to be able to do. Like, all right, we'll, we'll wait and see. I don't think that's Habakkuk's motivation behind saying this. It's actually his confidence in God, trusting in God, saying, God, I'll just take my stand at my watch post and I'll, I'll wait and see how you're going to respond but I'll wait and see what you're going to do. There's a lot of humility and confidence that that Habakkuk has in God. You have God's answer to Habakkuk's second complaint in prayer, beginning in chapter 2, verse 2, through the end of chapter 2. And he answers Habakkuk through a vision. And it's very clear God's plan is sure, and it will happen. And it is something that Habakkuk can be confident that it will happen. And through this vision, it's very clear that proud people are coping with life and they're going to cope with uh, difficulty in terrible ways. They're going to turn to wine. They're going to turn against each other. They're going to be violent and hateful. They're going to trust in their possessions and they're going to try to get more and more because things are being taken away. But the righteous in verse four will live by faith. So verse four, chapter two is another pretty popular verse. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. That's actually a theme even through the New Testament. We read that in Romans and Hebrews as well. But it all starts here in Habakkuk where God says, he sets in opposition, this is how wicked people respond, but the righteous will live by faith. God does see the wickedness of the people. People that use their power to hurt others. People that take what isn't theirs just because they could. People that are greedy and arrogant and violent. They're drunk partiers and idolatrous. And he just wants... To make sure that it's remembered how empty all of those things are at the end of chapter 2. But his vision confirms that he will judge because he is God and he has seen it all. So that brings us to chapter 3, where Habakkuk answers with a prayer. So before we read chapter 3, let's just try to get our minds in the same mindset as Habakkuk. He knows all these things about God God is eternal, God's law matters, God is just, He is righteous, God can act, and He is very powerful. So why does he question God? Well, he was looking around him and just saying, God, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get, there's a, there's a, there's a mismatch here because you are this, your people are doing this. You're saying you're going to correct it this way by using the Babylonians. This is hard for me to understand, God. I, I, it's hard for me to piece this together. So imagine everything you find security in being taken away. Imagine time when people lose their jobs, the nation's economy crashes, Money from your own pocket is taken. There's fear of invasion. People in your own country might be against you. Everyone is out for themselves, especially the top people, because they have more power. They inflict more power. There's loneliness and despair. Imagine a situation where your leaders are wicked and you trusted them to help help, or at least exemplify godliness. And then God's answer is that another wicked and godless leader or nation is going to bring judgment on the current wickedness. Well, that's not so hard to imagine, is it? Like, that's, that's how people feel. That's how people have been feeling for six or seven months. That's what some people have been feeling for years. Some people have been raised to think this way because it has been something that has been consistent in their life or in their parents' life for a long time. There's been despair. There's been a lack of trust. There's been no evidence that wickedness actually does get punished. And if it seems to get punished, it just brings about more wickedness. Now, before 2020, I would have probably asked, how would you respond to this thing of loss, this time of loss and difficulty and injustice? Um, but now I think it's fair just to ask, what have you done? Not what would you do? So how have you responded? What has been your reaction to what this year has brought? And maybe for some of you, it's not this year. Maybe for some of you, it's like, no, I've, I, this has been going on my whole life. OK, well, how have you responded your whole life? To the terrible things that you see around you. Well, let's go to Habakkuk three. Let's read this chapter, and let's just think this is Habakkuk's prayer, and then we'll make some points of application for us. Beginning in chapter three, verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigeonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, Remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Salah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your charity of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you in writhe. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of many waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the heads of yield the head the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers, he makes me tread on my high places. So the choir master with stringed instruments. So let's just break down Habakkuk's prayer. This is actually also a song, like when you see in verse one, it says, according to Shigianoth, and you see at the very end of chapter of the chapter in verse 19, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Shigianoth is like a tune or a melody. So this is a song, it's a, it's a prayer. This is his answer to God's plan and what God says he's going to do. So what is he saying here? I think the first thing he says in, in verses two through 15 is, God, you've done great things. Like, He's remembering certain things that might bring us to, uh, bring to memory for us some things we know in the Old Testament. Like, for instance, when he says in verse 5, Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. All these things about rivers and all this stuff. It, it might remind us of Egypt or something like that. Or it might remind us of just God's punishment and judgment on wickedness. So I really think that what Habakkuk is saying is, God, you've done great things. Do it again. Like, I want you to do the same things that you've done. Basically, I think what he's saying is, I know you keep being God and do whatever your plan is. That's how I interpret what his uh, prayer is in verses 2 through 15. Because he, he describes God in ways uh, of being all glory and power. He, he describes how God's judgment and wrath has been poured out. He depicts God in verses 9 through 15 as a warrior that conquers how and when he wants So he fears God and he's going to listen to him in verse two because he knows God has done these things. And so when he says to revive it in verse two, I think he's saying, do it again. Make it clear what you can do and who you are. But he does say in verse two, in the midst of judgment, be merciful. So we're going to make some applications in in a little bit. But as we go, I just want us to be thinking, is this part of my mentality and approach? Is this part of my prayer? Do I pray for God's judgment, but at the same time to also remember mercy? Even though I want his wrath on wickedness and evil, do I still desire his mercy just as much? Like, I definitely would want that with people that I care about. I want that for myself, right? But people that that I think really deserve wickedness, I mean, really deserve wrath because of their wickedness, do I still want God to be merciful even to those people? We can want the same thing. I think we can want them equally. We can want God's justice, but at the same time, we can say, but in wrath, remember mercy. And however that looks and however God carries that out, we should trust God because He's already done these things. So His prayer is to revive it again. Do it again, Lord. Then you get to verse 16, and you, I think you see the humility of Habakkuk. He stays humble. God has answered Habakkuk, and although He doesn't understand, Habakkuk fears God. So calling out for God to act needs to be done with humility. We can't just want others to be humbled. We need humility too. Can we say this about ourselves that when we hear that our body trembles before the Lord, that we actually truly have a fear of God? So if you pray for God's justice and that it needs to be, that needs to be enacted, you need to pray, pray carefully. God's people were judged by those more wicked, but God had a plan and we need to defer to, what God, to how God carries out that plan. So Habakkuk shows he's willing to be patient and quiet. He's not going to be mopey, throwing his hands in the air because he thinks prayer is useless. He's going to stand at his watch post and he's going to continue to be humble before God. He's not going to take it on himself to do what he thinks is right. He's going to defer to God and wait for his justice on the wickedness. And then I think you get to verse 17 and and really we see something that we can understand. I think all, all Habakkuk is saying is all he knows to do is be prepared and to live by faith. Because though all these bad things happen, all the, you know, the fig tree doesn't blossom like you look around and there's just no food, and everything you've worked for is coming to nothing, he's still going to rejoice in the Lord. He's still going to take joy in the God of his salvation. He's going to do the thing that God said he desires to see where the righteous live by faith. So when jobs and money go away, when things you work for come to nothing, will you still have the same mentality as Habakkuk? And then I think 18 and 19, you really see him culminate this saying that he's going to rejoice in the Lord. God is the Lord is his strength. He says he makes his feet like the deers, which that sounds kind of silly to me. Like, I, I don't know exactly. It's It's kind of funny for me to picture that, I guess. But when we sing songs about like, being in high places and things. like I think that's what it means. Like there, there's pure joy and bliss and we're like rising above him and, and you just think about glory. And I think that's what we get in verse 19. So Habakkuk concludes his prayer by just saying, although all this happens, at least I still have God. So he's not just going to make it through. He's choosing to find joy through the turmoil. He's going to find strength in God. He has confidence that God will be victorious, so therefore he will be victorious if he is with God, and he's going to leap on the high places. All right, well, what about us? By the way, I, I know I'm like speeding through some of this. That's because I've been going along with some of the lessons, and also I want to take some time just for us to think as we go through the rest of this and with the application for us. So what about us? Well, I think the first thing that we need to make sure we really believe is that God does listen and he does act. God has listened to prayers and he continues to listen to prayers. He can do something and he will do something. Now, that doesn't mean we understand or that we would even believe his plan, even if he told us. When you see God's plan throughout scripture, like when he carries out his plan, If you didn't already know, like, the whole story of the Bible, would you believe that he was actually still working? Like, I wouldn't. I mean, if I saw the story of Abraham and I saw the promises and the covenant and things like that, but then I would be like, I don't think, if I didn't know the end of the story, I would be like, I just don't think this is going to happen. This doesn't make sense. God's going to have to, like, swerve and take another direct detour, use someone else, find another way. But no, God, God carries out his plan. Same with Moses. Same with David, same with so many people, and then the same with Jesus. Like, even when it seems like God can't carry out his plan, he does. So we need to have confidence in that. We don't understand we don't believe his plan, even if he told us, continue to pray and be confident in him. I think another lesson that we get from this is that asking why or how long is not wrong, but we need to keep our humility. Like, there's a different way that we can ask why where it's accusatory or where it's really truly questioning God's character. And I think we need to be careful about that. But asking why is not wrong. If you're truly wanting understanding from God why something is happening around you, in your life, in your family, in this country, just in the world, whatever it is, that's okay. But don't cry out because of your personal righteousness and justice. Cry out because of God's justice and righteousness. And you want to understand more about how he's thinking, what his plan is. An interesting comparison would be Habakkuk and Jonah in this. So Jonah complains to God because he doesn't want to go and take God's message of repentance to these wicked people. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So He's like, I don't want to do that, God. Why should I go do that? They're they're wicked people. Why are you calling them to repent? But then you have Habakkuk that's just like, God, I'll wait and see, and I'll I'll just wait and see what you're going to do I don't understand this, but I trust you. Those are two different things. I think far too often we let our circumstances around us take us a little bit down the path of Jonah, where we unknowingly get on a boat and run away from what God actually wants us to do instead of drawing closer to God in prayer and trusting in him like Habakkuk. And then another lesson is Habakkuk's not just speaking for himself. He's speaking on behalf of all the people that he sees that are being tormented and are being hurt and are just coming to nothing. So if others are asking the same questions about why and how long, then we need to be with them and join with them in prayer. We need to try to relate to them, but more than anything, we just need to join them in fervent and faithful prayer. And the reason is because God reigns even when wickedness seems to reign. God is in his temple, so we keep silent before him, but that's just our disposition. That doesn't mean we don't pray. That doesn't mean we don't converse with God. We need to have confidence that God is reigning, that he's in his temple. So we go to him. Who else would we go to? We shouldn't go to anyone else if we think there's wickedness and there needs to be punished around us. We go to God first. And finally, for us, this is something that Habakkuk isn't necessarily looking towards, but something we look towards. And We have Jesus. So what about us? Like when we see all this around us, well, we have Jesus. Jesus himself quotes from Isaiah in Luke 4, where he says, uh, where this is when he goes before uh, the people in the, in the synagogue, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to him. So this is just tradition. He's going to read it and then kind of give a little bit of an explanation or talk about it for a second. But he just shocks the whole crowd because what he reads is from Isaiah, and they're just all staring at him. So just listen to what he says, what, what, he, um, what he reads, and then listen to his, I guess, commentary on what he reads. From Isaiah, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So who do we have, that we have Jesus, that is the answer to all the things that we see that are wrong around us? We have the person who proclaims good news to the poor. We have the true anointed one. I don't know if you know this in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, but actually in verse 13, he says, You went out for salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. The anointed is, is on Habakkuk's mind, but the anointed one isn't something Habakkuk's looking towards. We have the anointed one we're looking towards. So our trust is in him. Our trust isn't in just the people of God thinking that the spiritual leaders among us are going to rise up and are going to carry out salvation. We have the anointed one that is doing that. He's the one that proclaims good news to the poor. He sets it free, those that are captive. He gives sight to the blind. He rises up the oppressed. We have Jesus. So in our conversations with people, and they're asking What should we do about all these things around us? Well, if our answer is anything except for Jesus is that answer, then we're really selling them something that is going to fall short. We're giving them a solution that will never actually satisfy and give them true hope. And I know that it actually feels like we're giving them something hollow sometimes when we say, you just need the gospel, you just need Jesus Christ. But if we're going to really believe that this is who Jesus is, then giving them Jesus is the thing they need. Now let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 is another passage that I think is very important for what we're talking about. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. So here's some lessons just for the righteous that will live by faith. And after just going through these few things, uh, we'll conclude the lesson. But I hope that just as we go through these last few things, just continue to think Am I doing this? Is this part of my prayer? Is this part of my conversation? So the righteous will live by faith. Well, that means that we need to rejoice and continue in joy in the Lord, just like Habakkuk said he would do. We need to find strength and comfort in God, just like Habakkuk said he would do. We need to be confident in our victory through Christ. Habakkuk is confident in his victory through God. Even more so, we should be confident in our victory through Christ. We need to pray. We need to keep praying. We don't need to shirk from our prayers just because we haven't seen evidence that it is working. We need to continue in prayer and trust that God is acting and he can act. We do need to care about the injustices of God's people, but we need to turn to the Lord for answers. And while you wait for answers, be like a back and stay humble and stay patient. Be willing to stand at your watch post and just wait and see what the Lord will do. And the last thing is something that I know Habakkuk didn't have to look forward to and couldn't couldn't implement in his own life because it wasn't available until Jesus. And that's live by faith in the one that overcame. The fact that he overcame all, even sin, tells us that we can draw close to God. We don't have to shrink back. We should not shrink back. So God hasn't told us everything that will happen. He hasn't revealed to us his plan like he did to Habakkuk. But we know the the big picture plan, right? We know that Jesus comes back and calls all those that are his to himself. So really, our mission is to care about all the terrible things that might go on around us. And don't just think about right now. I mean, we're almost done with the year. So, I mean, we're acting like, you know, this is something just for now. I, I really think this is something that I'm going to try to do. I hope for the rest of my life that I just remember that this mentality that Habakkuk has is something that I need to put in place in my life. I need to have this example of prayer in my life. I need to be doing this. I need to care about the, the wicked things. I need to care about just people that are down and out and feel like they don't have any hope. But I need to see that the answer is nothing except for Jesus Christ. So we carry this confidence and hope with us within us continually. See, God didn't write his promises on tablets. He, he wrote it on our hearts. God's guarantee for justice is before us at all times. It's within us at all times because we have Jesus Christ. So among all of us, I think that one of the things, no matter what your circumstances, no matter who you're around on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, if you see people that need hope, don't give them hollow hope. Show your confidence in God and show your confidence in Christ. But pray and continue to pray and tell them you'll pray with them. And that's something that I don't think I've done a great job of. And I think that's something that Habakkuk gives us an example of. We continue to go to God in prayer. We continue to trust in him. Even when we don't see evidence of justice around us, we trust that God is just, that he is righteous, that he is holy and eternal, just like Habakkuk. We haven't been talking about what you need to do to become a Christian or anything like that. But if that is something you want to talk about, obviously we we want to talk about that with anybody that has questions about that. If you do have some things in your life that you need help with, we're talking about prayer for the most part today. That is one of the best things that we can do for each other is to go to God in prayer on each other's behalf because of some sort of spiritual difficulty and issue that you're having. That's the example that we actually see, especially in James. So we'll do that with you. But if you just need to think about some things in your life and as you go home, that just means that you go to God in prayer and spend lot of time in prayer, then I hope that we'll do that. But if it also means that we just try to lift up people around us, especially those that are fellow Christians and God's people, let's do that. Let's have the confidence of Habakkuk. We'll uh, have a a couple songs, and then we'll have our closing prayer in just a second. All right, guys, let's see a couple more songs.